Hello, and welcome to episode 25 of series three of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. This is the show for employee engagers and internal communicators who like to keep up to date with all that is new in our profession. My name's Craig Smith from The Big Picture People. Just like to start by wishing you all a very happy festive season wherever you are and however you celebrate this time of year. I hope you have a peaceful and relaxing time and that we can start to move into 2023 with some sense of optimism. I think it's been a tricky year for all of us across the globe, 2022, so for some more than others. And obviously we're thinking of those who are in far more challenging situations than we find ourselves in in various parts of the world. But I'm really looking forward to 2023, a lot of renewed optimism, I think, and um, hopefully things that we can start looking forward to. So this is the final show of the year and of this series, and we're going to be moving into the next series straight away. Uh, And on the 3rd of January 2023, we have our first episode of the new series, which is an interview with Mark Gallagher from Performance Insights. And he's going to be telling us all about the communications and leadership lessons from that highly intense world of motorsport. Mark has worked in motorsport for a number of years with some very prestigious people and teams and is going to give us some insights into what it's like to lead and communicate within an organisation like a Formula One team. And uh, I think you'll find that really interesting, even if Formula One isn't necessarily your thing. Following on from that, got a fantastic interview on the 17th of January with uh, Joanna Parsons from Teamwork. Joanna is going to be telling us all about the challenges of communicating with remote employees. Now, it's a topic we've covered in previous episodes, particularly during the episodes during the pandemic. But uh, this is definitely a topic that I think lots of people are interested in. And Joanna's got some fantastic insights based on her experience within the industry. Moving on from that, uh, coming up, I'm not going to give you every episode, but we're going to look at be looking at topics such as the conscious workplace. I'm not sure if anyone's heard of that, but we're going to be covering that in one of our episodes. We're going to be looking at trust and how that plays out in comms. We're going to be looking at civility and politeness in organizational communications. And we're also going to be revisiting stories and the importance of stories and the use of stories to build our narrative. So we've got some fantastic topics already lined up uh, for the show in the new year. So um, just to, just to move that into into the sort of uh, interview for today, just to say finally um, we've got a number of our events. I'm not going to go all, through all of them. We've got a number of free webinars coming up next year uh, for the big picture people. We we are running webinars on our gamified solutions, which are very popular, and also our big picture products as well. Our learning maps, which are very good for sharing organisational vision, values, and direction. And particularly at the beginning of uh, of every year, we do get a lot of inquiries organizations tend to use our products to get them off to a flying start in the new year so if any of you are interested in that get in touch with us but we're also running webinars uh, as i said on our events page at the big if you go to our events page you'll see that we run free webinars every month uh, alternating between the different topics that i've just mentioned so um that's it for me so all the best for 2022 and i will go straight into today's interview <music> 
I really enjoy speaking to leaders of internal communications on the podcast and finding out about their career histories and some of the things that they've learned over that time. So we're very lucky today to have a guest with eight more than 18 years of experience in internal communications who is going to share with us the experience of building their career within internal comms and starting off just as themselves, but then moving through to having now a team of seven people serving 6,000 employees across the globe. During that journey, we're going to find out some of the tips of how they've built up a team, some of the challenges along the way, some of the key lessons from that journey. And also what we're going to do is find out about how the role of being a leader in internal communications can sometimes be quite a lonely role. There is often a dependency or expectation on you to be the one who has all the answers, to have all the experience, to have all the knowledge. Um, and we're going to, as part of that, we're going to explore the importance of building a really uh, diverse and sustainable support network that can help you to bring some perspective to your work and it can also be some somebody or a group of people who can give you advice and and mentor you because even though you're a leader you still need that help and support and advice we're also going to talk about how the role of an ic leader can sometimes be very busy, very very uh, diverse days that we have, lots of things going on, and and how we cope with those different demands, and how we we smooth over the water that sometimes is very turbulent within our organisations, giving the uh, volume of work and the expectations that are, are thrown at us. And finally, we're going to finish off by looking at some advice for anyone who's joining the profession, looking to join the profession, who's been in the IC profession for a while, and anyone who's um, just maybe newly started into the profession as well. We're going to look at three different pieces of advice that our guest is going to share with us as to how you can look to develop that support network and be really successful in your career. Okay, so that's what this interview is about for this episode. My guest today is Sarah Turton. Sarah is a trusted CIIC, Chartered Institute of Internal Communications, accredited communications and engagement leader with a formidable record of delivery extending across 18 plus years with one of the largest UK headquartered software companies. Sarah is curious, creative and innovative by nature and demonstrates a can-do attitude and a genuine passion for the written word and all things culture and communication. So hello, Sarah. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Craig. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, recovered from recovering from the dreaded COVID, as we were just talking about there, but uh, definitely, definitely, almost back to normal. I would say for ninety eight percent, which is uh, which is ninety eight percent of uh, of of my hundred percent usual hundred percent, which is uh, yeah, I won't say how much of a percentage that is of normal people, but there you go. So anyway, Sarah, where are you in the world? Just for our listeners, we've got listeners all over the world. So position us on the on the map, please. Where 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 okay. is Sarah? Uh, Sarah is in Weatherby, West Yorkshire, uh, probably best known for um, its race course and Weatherby Whale Fish and Chips. Um, but I guess like um, most people around the world, um, I can adopt a hybrid approach. So um, I divide my time between home and the office and my local office is in Leeds. Um, but given where most of my peers are based, um, I spend a fair amount of my office time in the Midlands. 
Okay, right. So you're yeah, excellent. So you are you. Yeah, you're saying it's vir- you're vir- mainly virtual, but you you you, you move around. Yeah. I, I, Weatherby, I always think of as the services because it's normally somewhere I pass. <laughs> it's about halfway usually for me on my trips to the Midlands. Weatherby is a good call, call sort of stopping off place. But yes, famous for many things. Weatherby, indeed, uh, <laughs> fantastic. So. Um, I introduced you as 18 years plus um, of, of one of the UK's largest uh, headquartered software companies. That's incredibly vague. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about, about where you work, what you do, the type of work that you're involved in at the moment, please, Sarah? Yeah, of course. So um, I should actually um, caveat that to say that we are the, the leading um, provider of um, software for the, the public sector um, across the UK and um, touch many points. Um, mm. We have a, a noble cause as an organisation. So maybe as a brand, we don't have uh, the recognition but certainly um, in terms of the things that we do every day, uh, whether that be the um, democracy and engagement. So obviously those people voting um, for the UK elections, um, it's Civica behind um, obviously that. Um, you know, the highway signs and all the software that's delivering those to, to keep people safe. Um, if you've got children, then the uh, fingerprint technology that you use in schools to pay for meals, um, we're behind that. Um, and when I say that we have as an organisation, a noble cause, um, you know, there is a, a broader thing behind that. So um, by children paying with a fingerprint, they don't necessarily know um, if a child is subsidised for their school meals and therefore you could argue it prevents bullying and all those kind of things. So we have a really kind of broader noble cause in terms of the software that we do. Um, as an organisation, um, we're very innovative organization I guess because we're in the software arena um, and we obviously have loads of people across the world um, in APAC um, Australia so Singapore um, the US New Zealand UK uh, and India uh, working together really to make um, life different for people and citizens around the world fantastic I always think it's amazing that you know these companies that 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 um you know, kind of, I guess you'd say B two B companies who who are, you know huge and 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 do amazing things like you, you know like you've you've just said there about your organisation and we work with a lot of companies like this and but yet from a consumer perspective you know from it, like it because you're not a B two C business so that's obviously you know the, why that's the case but you know people people have generally n- never heard of but actually without them the, the kind of fabric of society and community would wouldn't wouldn't operate so it's it's always Indeed. wonderful wonderful to unearth these these hidden uh you know parts of our uh our society and so uh fantastic so um yeah i mean and, and we're going to explore some of some of the challenges and 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 the the, the 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 aspects of leading an internal comms function within such a large and complex organization which you you've you kind of made it sound wonderfully compact and and unified there which i'm sure it is but but I, my experience is we're working in organizations of many you know many different uh stakeholders that you have to serve many internal external stakeholders that you have to serve it's always always an interesting challenge i think so i'm really like to explore that with you so i am I'd, I'd like to sort of ex- start by by kind of talking about building an effective internal comms team. So you've got a lot of experience in the organisation with you, and a lot of experience in internal comms. Um, and uh, I, I think you set your team up from some from scratch, and now you've got this you know team that's effectively communicating or developing internal comms for up to six thousand employees. So I'd really like to just explore that with you because I think people who are in that 
early stages of their career, but also, you know, more experienced internal communicators who are, you know, experiencing growth in their team or want to want to develop their team and grow their team would, would always benefit from this. So could you just talk us through, you know, that, that, that journey that you've been on and some of the steps that you've been through and some of the lessons that you, you, you've, you've taken along the way, please, Sarah. I can indeed. So I guess um, I'd probably start by saying that many years ago, um, a colleague imparted some career advice that I've never <laughs> forgotten. And they said, if you are offered an opportunity, Sarah, um, the chance to do something new, um, even if you don't think it's for you, you should take it. And I think my background, I started my career in, in marketing. Um, mm. I had a gap year at ICL in Slough. And then they offered me a job when I graduated. So I fell into marketing and it was something I enjoyed studying um, and pursued for for many, many years. And when I joined Civica, that is actually um, the role that I went into, a a marketing role. Um, But I think the reality is, um, as an organisation, we grew. Uh, When I joined, um, we're a very small organisation of a couple of hundred people. We didn't even have a HR team. Mm. Um, But I think for me, obviously, we got a HR director on board and and I became the go-to person um, for everything that they needed to, you know, I guess, make our culture um, tangible and bring lots of things to life, such as our training academy. Um, and I kind of did that in addition to the, the marketing role. It was something I really embraced and enjoyed. Um, and really, it was just then through chance as the organization grew, um, as we became an IIP accredited organization. Um, what you really then need is an established internal comm. So I think Internal comms can be like marketing. A lot of people think they can do it. Um, they endeavour to do it, um, but I, I think obviously it does need a dedicated resource um, as you as you move on within an organisation. Um, and literally, I offered to do the role, put together a plan, and work with some obviously members of our exec to to kind of put a plan um, in place. Um, and I think for me, um, that was a fantastic opportunity because. Whether you're in an organization um, that doesn't currently have an IC function, yeah. and you're at the point where you think you need one, or you think you yourself can spot an opportunity, um, I think you have the luxury of a blank canvas when you set up an IC function. Um, there's no shoes to fill, uh, there's no processes to follow. You know, you get to work with your CEO, your exec, your senior stakeholders and shape the vision and standard and tone. Um, and that, of course, they need to be really closely aligned to the organization's strategy of values and brand. But you get also the privilege, I think, of building your team from scratch. So you're not inheriting anybody and you can recruit people um, with the right mindset. Because I think for me, internal comms is a profession where you have to have a can-do attitude. You have to go the extra mile. You have to constantly have a smile on your face because things will be dropped on you at the last minute by its very nature. But, um, you know, I'm in a bit of an adrenaline junkie and I'm sure many of you listening out there are too. And and for me, there's nothing more rewarding or exciting about um, having... a role in IC in that, you know, I, I could say I'm I'm not just spinning the dinner service, there's the gravy <laughs> boat as well. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it, it really is such a challenging profession to be in. But I think going to your point about, um, you know, back in the day and kind of sharing some insights, um, you know, I, I'd kind of love to say um, that I've got now about to share the uh, the internal comm startup success uh, toolkit with a details of an intricate 30-day plan and a full year plan and some measurable KPIs. Um, but the reality is, 
I think back in the day when you're starting out, regardless of if you've been in internal comms previously or not, you're still getting familiar with an organization in a different way. Yeah. I think for me, um, I started with a simple plan. Um, I had the support of senior stakeholders and I learned and adapted what I did as I went along. But I think a key thing for me was starting with the basics. I think it's very easy for us to overlook or overcomplicate um, and think we need some bold and wonderful strategy. Um, but I think the key thing for me is time when you're yeah. setting up an internal comms function. And it's about really taking the time to listen, to observe listen to the heartbeat of your organization and deeply understand your business and your people and especially your key stakeholders because for me that's key to internal com success yeah you need a really strong team and you need really strong um passionate people around you who believe in what you're doing but they're also comms advocates themselves and they live and breathe that in their leadership style um but also fly the flag for you and can be your eyes and ears um across the organization and i and i think you keep your people close and when i say people i don't just mean your team because you know i had several years of no of no team and that's therefore why the relationship the, the time to take um, you know, to listen to the heartbeat, as I say, of the organisation is so, so important in those early days because you need to understand, believe in it um, and follow it really to be able to communicate that effectively to your people because you need to believe yourself in what you're communicating. Otherwise, I don't think that authenticity uh, and genuineness comes across as well mm. in what you're communicating. Mm. And so so of your 18 years and how, how long of that period did, did you kind of operate without a team and, and, and kind of just get an idea of the timeline of when you, when you started? It was about two and a half years, to be honest. Well, you, you so, were kind you know, of on your yeah, own. Yeah, worked mm. long days and mm. long nights. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was something I was incredibly passionate about. And I, and I remember at the, the time, probably um, – I went off on maternity leave and and then came back. And Mm. two years later, my husband and I separated, um, Mm. which was fine. It was my choice. It's, you know, it's Mm. actually something that's, I think, positive for my life. But I really Mm. felt I needed a purpose. um, And I absolutely threw myself into my career. And I was lucky that the organization I worked for, um, we have a culture where you're very empowered to be your best. And I think I'm testament to that in the sense of, you know, close relationship with HR director talked about the art of the possible um and then it was kind of like well off you go and you do that then so right. my background was marketing it's fundamentally you just need the ability to communicate um so you don't necessarily need a piece of paper um to to make you up to the job no. but I think um you know there was um you, you become a master of so many things I think and you know it's a real privilege to be able to set up a function um you know, and as I say, someone at the time even said to me, you'll never make a full time job of that, Sarah. And, you know, 10 years on, I'm really proud to, <laughs> to look back and think, well, I actually did make it a full time job. And yeah. there's another six of us around the world um, all doing the same thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, you've answered that question. I was going to ask how many, how many your team is now. You've got six people working for you across the world. Yes, yeah, so we're yeah. a total yeah. team of seven. So mm-hmm. four in the UK, two in India, and one in Australia. Okay, excellent, excellent. And you kind of alluded to this. And in terms of how much did you have to kind of prove 
I guess we'll always need to prove the worth of what we do, but how much of it would you was a kind of convincing job that I need more resources because with, with more resources, I can deliver X, Y, and Z. And how much of it were you kind of pushing against an open door in terms of, you know, an organization and, and, and leadership who kind of recognized the value of what you're doing? I mean, how, how did that evolve in terms of getting that sponsorship and that, challenge of getting the you know kind of the headcount that you need to be able to do what you're doing now how how, how did you manage that and what was the, what were some of the challenges along the way that you faced okay. with that? um I think first and foremost um I was believed in or the function the value of the function even though back 10 years ago um I don't think internal comms had the mm. exposure and, and kudos and respect that it has today and I think absolutely um I'm not alone in thinking COVID's absolutely brought <clears throat> our profession yeah. to the fore in terms of the the value add um I think for me obviously there, there was a belief in the value of the function and um the role because otherwise I wouldn't have been offered that opportunity to do it in the first place. Mm. Um, I think with, with anything, um, you do need um, to, to prove yourself. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was just a point where the, the senior stakeholders recognised as much as I did that I needed um, that extra support to grow because as an organisation, we were going through real growth. Um, mm. And so therefore, um you obviously need um, mm. the additional resource to be able to do that. But I think as well, I, you know, I don't want to undermine in any way what I, I've created. But as I said, there wasn't this beautifully crafted 30-day plan. No, no. Um, you know, it, it was very much an evolution, um, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, even in, mm. in today's world where, you know, there's so many tools and assets out there and systems that you can use to to give you more of a plan. But I think it, it was very organic. Yeah. Um, I think obviously um, I am very much somebody who delivers on my promise. And I think those kind of ethos are really should be really true to you as you're starting up a function in terms of, you know, proving your value. But it is no different to any other profession. It's about earning that respect. Mm. Um, and I think if there's if there's no pain and grit in the story, then it actually, you know, if I'd have probably had a team of five people to start the function with, um, this wonderful crafted plan, it wouldn't have actually give the story so much grit. Yeah. Um, I think we yeah. all need a bit of a a bit of a journey. But I think, yeah, I've been very fortunate that I've always had that support and belief. Um and a lot of those people in those senior positions have been, um, you know, advocating, would often say, you know, you need to speak to Sarah about yeah. this. So I think, yeah, there was a real traction and shift in the deliverables. It's very tangible, I think, what we do too as a profession. So you sit at the centre of the organisation, you can tangibly see what you're delivering. And I think then on the back of that, it got to the point where it was deemed to be successful. And also at that point, I was asked to also look after our brand, um, eventually PR and our M&A. Um, so some of our growth is through acquisition. So ensuring that people were onboarded effectively um, and culturally um, they were onboarded. So back in the day, I used to sit within marketing. So I didn't have for many years a traditional role. So my team was actually a couple of people bigger than it is currently because yeah. I looked after those extra elements. But I think that in itself to me was testament that the value had been seen in the internal comms because it was almost like, can you replicate that now for these other areas? 
um, and can you take that extra responsibility? So um, I think not every organisation is the same. You will you will get your cynics. And, and I said about a colleague at the time when I started out that, you know, was really quite negative in terms of their thought process, um, you know, being called glitter and glue in, in the past. Uh, but actually embrace all that as a positive right because um as i did eagle would say i love nothing more than proving people wrong and um you know we're all motivated very differently but i think it's great if you have those cynics and those people that don't believe in you to just get your head down quietly and deliver fantastic fantastic um and I want to go on to talk about another another key aspect, I think, of of of, of leading any function and particularly IC, which is this this whole sense that um and, and I've worked with lots of leaders and and I and and I guess when they're working with someone like me, they tend to, you know, tend to confide in it or, or kind of share their their own personal vulnerabilities, which you know I always totally respect and because we're all, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. And one of the one of the things is around the kind of loneliness of of being a leader, and particularly when you're leading a a, a you know a function. Uh, any function but but and particularly in the context of internal comms so mm-hmm. and i know you you'd kind of volunteered to this when we'd, we'd kind of spoken before before we recorded the interview a few weeks ago and you'd said this was something you know you 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 you, you you're kind of happy to talk about so mm-hmm. you just t- just tell, tell me a little bit about from your perspective because i I'm, I'm totally with you on this i think i think it's really it is something that we often forget we kind of look at the people stood in front of us and think that they're invulnerable and you know got it bulletproof but actually they're, they're as vulnerable as we are at the end of the day so um tell us a little bit about about that and your experiences please sarah of course um i mean i guess in the early days when it's literally just you um like it you know it was it was for me you're just on your own um then you can be working those silly hours obviously through choice but um you know, there's no one to share the pressure and responsibility with um, mm. and no one who truly gets it, um, I guess, with whom as well you can share the highs and lows. Because I think an important thing in, in everything that you're doing is always taking those moments to really reflect and recognise and celebrate um, your success. Um, so I think for me, you know, as I say, no one genuinely understands. And it, it's the time it takes to really craft and deliver a message that not only resonates with your audience and gets them engaged, but has the right tone. And mm. I think now, so in terms of the world we live in, it's fully inclusive and it lands as it's intended. Um, so I think, you know, as I say, when you're starting out and you're on your own, there's no one that truly gets it. As yeah. you then have the joy of establishing a team, that for me is is really important because what you need is a really strong team around you that will will go the extra mile, will have the can-do attitude. Um, but again, there's times when you can't always share. So it's not about your ability to delegate. But, you know, obviously there are times when you're privy to really sensitive information. Um, and maybe as well also you just have some knowledge and experience that you can't easily offload to your team members. So I suppose in those instances it feels like it's it's just on you. Mm. Um, and then obviously in, in things like crisis communications, as thrilling and as exciting as it, it can be to pulled into uh, conference calls with your CEO and exec team, um, you know, as you're kind of stocking up on the toilet paper as you're about to get the announcement to go into lockdown, you know, you <laughs> yeah. kind of feel that you're, you're really there at the end of it and um, exciting things to come in terms of making a real difference um, and providing a reassuring voice in uncertain times. But again, People look to you, um, you know, and 
as you you started to say at the beginning, Craig, you know, none of we're all human. None of none of us are different. But I think when you're in the IC profession, there is an element of composure that you need to maintain. You can't be seen to be flapping and you know, you have to be armed with endless band-aids to, to stick mm-hmm. over things that, and make mm. things seem, you know, really polished and smooth and, and, and okay. But I think even when you have a team, as I say, sometimes they can't be privy to that information. So it, it is down to you. Um, but also as well, we, we all have our limits, regardless of how well we are at managing stress and balancing multiple things. Um, you know, you, you can take then also the strain for your team in, in those moments where it is full on and, and high pressure. Um, but then again, who who then do you put your kind of pressure and have your moments with? Yeah. Um, and I'm very, I, I'm sure I'm not alone in having work yeah. wives and husbands throughout the organisation. Mm. So as much as I don't have a, a counterpart, if I was a sales director, you know, we've got a community of sales directors, but there isn't an equivalent of me in the organisation. But I do have you know, various wives and husbands at various levels within the organization that, you know, are, are there to just check in with, act as a sounding board. And they might not get the challenges of the profession, um, but, you know, that they're there to sense check and, um, you know, make you feel supported, Yeah, um, which is definitely one way I, I, I would recommend that you um, overcome that loneliness. But I think, yeah, all professions all leadership roles have it. It it goes with the territory, um, I think. So it, it's either something that you embrace um, and you just focus on getting over or um, you allow it to pull you down. But I think, um, yeah, it should always be the former in terms of, um, yeah, just stepping up and, definitely. and embracing it. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I, I've done some work with a client of ours on on <clears throat> helping them develop some tools around resilience. And and um, it, it's interesting because we did some research ourselves into other people's research on resilience. And, you know, one of the recurring themes is that resilient people tend to have a really good network of people around them who, mm-hmm. they, can, who they can, you know, use for support. And we kind of summarize the type of support that anybody needs, you know, regardless of, of, of whatever role they're in, and particularly when they're in a role which can be lonely, like, like what we've just been talking about. And we, yeah. we, we kind of talk about that you need, you know, you need, um, and this this comes from a good friend of mine as well. He, he kind of sh- shared this with me. You need, you need, I'm trying to remember this. You need, yeah, you need, um, you need a kind of moral support. So you need someone mm-hmm. who can just go and have a good rant and a moan to, and they just kind of listen and don't kind of judge. And they're just sort of there to yeah. sort of absorb it like a sponge. You need someone who's kind of, can give you tactical support which is kind of when you're trying to do something you don't really know how to do but you know somebody who's really good at that or, or kind of could, could give you you know so it's like you know I, I don't know how to do this with excel uh or you know i don't know how to do this with this person who's you know kind of difficult and i don't know how to approach the conversation you know so people who are good at that sort of thing you go to for that sort of specific very ta- te- technical technical advice tactical advice and then you need the kind of truth teller which is someone who will kind of hold your feet to the fire and sort of say, mm-hmm. look, you know, what are you doing? What I've told you what I think you should be doing and you're not listening clearly because you're still doing what you said you weren't going to do. And who's kind of, you know, that, 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 and, and I think there are many other types of support, but I think recognizing that you need at least those three types of support. And, and I, I like your kind of work husband, work wife analogy, because it's often, you know, our nearest and dearest who try and do all of yeah. that for us. And, and they're not always very good at doing that because they don't really know the context that we're talking about. 
about. So, um, so I think it's it's a really important lesson for me coming out of this, which is you, you know, it is um, if you're working in a, in any role, regardless of whether mm-hmm. you're senior or or junior, but particularly I think the more senior you get, that you need that kind of support network. You can't do it all on your own, and if you do, you you're often um, you know you you kind of uh, you're going to come a cropper at some point. That's my experience anyway. Yeah, I know. I would agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that kind of follow, follows that links to what we were, I was going to ask the next question I was asking, because I know the other thing that you, you bought from <laughs> your um, loneliness of leadership and now the new one that you've, you've, you've kind of given us there, which I really like the work, high, white, work, 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 wife, work, husband. Um, is this idea of being a swan, which I, I guess, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure people know what the, the metaphor, but I'll let you explain it. Why sometimes being an IC sea leader is a bit like being a swan, a day in the life of a swan and a day in the life of an IC leader. Uh, and and again, anything that we've not already talked about, how you can kind of cope with those demands as an IC leader. So I'll let you explain the swan analogy just in case nobody's okay. familiar with it. So. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I, I mean, I just want to start by obviously saying that, you know, to be a comms professional for me personally, and I'm sure I'm not alone, it is a very privileged position because yeah. as I said, before you're at the heart of the business um but you have a great deal of exposure and profile which is great but it also in some respects can make you quite vulnerable um and you know if you're not careful you can kind of become the the victim of your own success um but I think what I would say is it's a really trusted profession and people put their trust in you to deliver and buy yeah. into what you're communicating. Yeah. And so despite all of that pressure, you have the real responsibility to remain calm. Um, so, yes, um, you have to be a swan. So you make it look effortless. But yeah. by demonstrating that serenity, I guess, of a swan, people, I think, can sometimes underestimate how fast those legs are going yeah. underneath <laughs> the surface and what's actually involved. Um, and therefore can underestimate the time and effort that goes into what you do and maybe just drop things on you last minute and think, oh, well, you can just write a communication in half an hour. Um, and, and you can, but it, it's the quality of that. And, you know, you've built up a reputation and depending on what you're communicating, as I said, you know, before, you need to make sure it lands as it's intended. And, you know, it takes a little bit of thought. So I think for me, there's lots of juggling going on. Yeah. And I think particularly, um I am probably my worst critic, um, but I think you're in a comms profession, so therefore everything you do, so even a simple email that I will send to somebody, I'll still read it again. I'll still start it with, good morning, did you have a nice weekend, regardless of how busy I am, because <laughs> I'm, I'm in the comms profession, and rightly or wrongly, and I'm sure people aren't, but I, I feel judged yeah. in, in everything that I do. So it's like being an accountant and not being able to add up. You know, it, it's the basic fundamental. So. I think for me to be able to to cope with all that as as the swan is you you absolutely need a really good strong team around you um as as I said from the outset your your team again another thing that someone said to me very early on in my career as I was starting to build a team is you know you you've been very successful you've built this on your own but now your future success will come through your team and yeah. and it's true because as yeah. you're part of an organization that grows you can't be over everything and, you know, now more so than ever, I'm getting to the point where I can't physically read every communication we send out. So yeah. I have to absolutely trust. And and I think in terms of reviewing content, I would always say to my team, it's not because I don't trust you, because I absolutely do trust my team and we have an incredibly close and open relationship. But if I didn't read it, 
I wouldn't probably have always the time to read it, but also you need that visibility because if anyone asks you at any point in time what comms are going out, what's going on in the business, you need to know, again, coming back to my point as as leading by example. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it's just, it, it's so full on. Um, my comms team don't just deal with the internal comms. We also look after our listening strategy. So our annual engagement survey, EMPS survey, pulse surveys. Mm. And we also run two really big events for the business, which is our kick annual kickoff conference for our sales community and annual awards program. So, the, you know, I, I don't know how typical that is with some organizations. I know some internal comms teams are just just communications yeah. and nothing else but there's a lot of broader things and particularly as we sit now within our our pnod team which is our people and organization development right. team or to most people a hr team and um, you know we can often find ourselves brought into lots of other things as well which is yeah. great because it means <laughs> there's never a dull moment um but i I, ju- I just think the nature of our role is 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 being this one we have to be composed you know if someone wants to change their slides 10 minutes before you're about to start a conference you know you have to have a smile on your face and you just have to make it happen so um it's just the nature of what you do and I think it's not everyone's cup of tea you either love it or you hate it and I've had people just a couple of people join me over the years and and not stand the test of time because they they didn't like the pace of it um which again is is why like any job I think you just need to love what you do be very passionate about it and live it and breathe it because this is not a profession that's nine to five um, and that you can just package in a box. It, it, it is all encompassing. Yeah. Um, full on. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I totally agree with you on that. I think it, it is one of those things where there is no blueprint. There's no kind of, uh, you get the book out and read how to do it. Cause you, a lot of mm. it, a lot of the time it's novel stuff that you're doing or you, it's a novel application of what you already do. And like you say, with, with a lot of IC teams now being part of, of broader, organization development hr teams there's a kind of a sense of well you're good at this sort of stuff aren't you you you, you i'll give we'll give you that to do and it's actually something you've never done before but actually yeah. you are probably the most qualified to do it within the organization but it doesn't mean it's any easier because it, it's something you you know you're gonna have to kind of either invent from scratch or, or do a lot of kind of digging around to find out you know it, it, other ways that we could do it and not having to necessarily reinvent the wheel so I, I agree it's not it's not for everybody but if you like that sort of thing and you're resourceful yeah it's absolutely um, the job to have it's absolutely yeah I want, I want to just build up build on that and just sort of go on to the sort of final area that i'd like to explore with you sarah and i know mm-hmm. you, you kind of being on the interview and being on the show part of your your involvement with IOIC and your passion for you know advocating this profession to the people for the people who it's right for and um yeah and do you want to just tell us a little bit about what you're what you're doing at the moment with with our, uh, what your involvement with is IOI, with IOIC is because I know you you're 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 um you're 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 kind of involved in in, in IOIC and uh, also the Chartered Institute of Internal Comms as well um yeah. do you want to say a little bit about what you what you what you're up to and also any other advice that you've got for people who are looking to join the profession Okay. Um, I think the first thing I would say is obviously I, well, I reached out first. So I'm a member of the IOIC. Um, So if if you're wanting to get in space, absolutely um, advocate that you obviously do consider um, joining and becoming a member because there's lots of great tools and resources um, available to you as part of your membership. Um, But as part of that, for my own personal growth, 
Um, the reality is you can't always just look within your organization. I think um, with internal comms, you can't afford either to, to stand still because your business will be growing. The needs of the business will be growing. I think the demographic of your people continues to evolve um, and people want information in very different ways now, um, mm. almost on their timescales um, and in and, and kind of indigestible formats as well. So I think you need to keep listening. And I think it's very easy to become blinkered and you can't just keep reeling out the same thing um, on repeat because, you know, you did it three years ago and it, and it was working three years ago. You need to keep sense checking. Is that right for the business? Um, so I think to do that, that's where your external network is particularly powerful. Mm. Um, so, again, in, in terms of LinkedIn. So, as I say, um, obviously, member of the IO, I see. And as part of that, I, I wanted um, an external coach. So I've had coaches and mentors internally um, and with kind of external partners that we've used over the years to, to kind of grow my voice of authority and all those kind of bits and pieces as you kind of go up through the ranks. But um, I got a coach through um, the IOIC and it was actually them that kind of suggested um, about the advisory board. So um, mm. it's something that was set up several months back. Um, it's a number of um, comms professionals um, across the country from different sectors that basically um, come together on a regular basis to think about and discuss the themes and topics that you know, are important to comms professionals um, for their voice magazine, which is their quarterly magazine, yeah. which is a great magazine. Um, and that's my involvement um, with that. And um, yeah, it, it's been great because it's nice to know too, that you're not alone in your thoughts. Yeah. Um, and you don't, you know, sometimes it's very easy as well to think that other organizations have got these super magic ones in terms of systems and things that allow them to get all the data and dashboards and analytics um, around comms as well. Um, but the reality is that it's not all that it, it's painted to be. So it's um, yeah, reassuring to know that um, you're not alone in terms of your thought processes. So um, I'm really glad that I've done both of those. And again, would be I guess obviously the, there's not loads of places on the advisory board, but um, you know I think membership of the IOC is definitely something people should um, look to pursue. Yeah, brilliant. No, and and I and I like that because I, I do some because I'm in my own small business. I do do mentoring for other small business owners, and 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 again, I think why I really like it. Everybody says oh, it's really you know how do you find the time to do it? It must be like you know really altruistic but actually i mean it is but but at the same time i often find i learn i learn so many great things that i could actually because from the other people who are either mentoring or just mm -hmm. actually thinking you know what i should actually listen to my own advice here because um I, I i should be you know sort of um, practicing what i preach to a certain extent and and actually it, it just like you say it's just that it just gives you that diversity of thinking and actually um you recognize that is uh, there's an element of relief isn't there that you're you know yeah. oh, i'm glad yeah. it's not just me who sort of finds this a really you know a challenge and and the ability and again it goes back to what we were saying earlier which is the importance of support networks and the people you can talk to and be honest and and straightforward yeah. and and yeah absolutely so I, I love that um any any final tips sarah any any final you know if someone either there you know and this might be kind of linking in with what you've just been talking about there about your your, your advisory role business uh, work but 
Yeah. Any anybody who's looking to move into IC or has just started in IC or has been in IC for a, let's maybe pick those three different kind of little personas there. Just just thinking about stepping into the the profession, being in the profession for a, you know a few a couple of a year or two, or being in there that for a sort of you know coming up to the sort of the uh, the, the the length of service that you've got in the profession. What, what, what any any two single pieces of advice for those three different kind of personas? Okay, so for somebody who's not in the profession and thinking about it, I'd say absolutely go for it because mm. what is there to lose? Um, yeah. A favourite book of mine is Susan Jeffers, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And mm. the reality is, you know, what have you got to lose? I think ultimately um, it helps if you've got a network or you're already in an organisation so your credibility and personal brand um, can can do some of the talking for you. Mm. Um but particularly if you've been in a profession that's very content heavy, so something like marketing, journalism, anything that, you know, shows your ability to communicate um, and it's a field you want to get into, I'd say absolutely embrace it um, and, and just go for it because you've got nothing to lose. And I think, as I said earlier on, the profession has really elevated recently. Yeah. I think there's lots of opportunities and roles out there. So give it a go. Um, I think the second persona, just correct me, Craig. Yeah. If you've been in the industry all... for like a year or two and you, you know, you're still early stages and finding your feet and yeah. working out what I should be doing and and, and yeah. what, what it actually means and involves. Okay. So my, my piece of advice for that would be to um look broader and think about externally your network to kind of get that insight into what other organizations and best practice looks like mm. um, and take the time to put um, something together in terms of a, a plan or a proposal in terms of how you can take your or the, the organization's communications, depending on what level you are, um, to, to the next level. I think don't be shy to have ideas um, yeah. and put them on the table. And, you know, if, you know, again, very lucky that we have always had a really open culture. And even when I was much junior, you know, I, I still used to speak to the CEO. I, I didn't, you know, wouldn't have thought twice about sending an email um, or picking up the phone just because of the type of company we are. I appreciate not every organisation yeah. has that. So mm-hmm. if you don't have somebody at that level that you think you can go have a conversation with and share your ideas and find someone else that's maybe not quite at that level, but is still senior and could help open the door for you um, yeah. by bringing them on board with your thinking. And then in terms of the third persona, Craig, which is kind of like, I guess, you, <laughs> someone who's Me. been in the profession for a long time, you know, so this is kind of advice to yourself, I guess. This is very, uh, yeah. yeah. My yeah. advice to myself is to just, yeah, ju- just keep on your toes and don't be complacent. Mm. Um, and I think just just continue enjoying and embracing it. Mm. Um, because I think, as I say, it's not a profession where you can let yourself become stale. Um, and I think, yeah, that is the key thing to just keep on on the front foot and um, keep thinking, keep evolving. Um, but more than anything, you know, just love what you do, um, mm. because I think naturally if you do, then you'll be your best self and and you'll do the best for the role. Um, just live and breathe it. Superb. Excellent. Well, that's a fantastic point at which to finish uh, my question. So just before we wrap up, um where where can we find out more about you? I know you you talked about LinkedIn. Is that the best place if people want to? Um, yeah, wants so to obviously out? I'm on LinkedIn, and if anyone wants to reach out, um, or even particularly if you're in the Yorkshire area and want to create a a small network, um, I'm part of a HR network where we 
regularly every couple of months just dial into a call and share kind of topics and issues um Brilliant. just to have that kind of support um more than happy to help set up something of that nature as well if that's at all helpful fantastic oh that's very kind sarah and i'll put the link into your linkedin profile into the show notes so if anyone's listening to this and they, they want to find uh, your profile um we can uh, they can find it by clicking on the link there and um yeah so all that remains to be said said sarah is thank you thank you very much for your sharing your fantastic insights your experience and your generosity comes comes across uh, in 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 huge amounts there in terms of everything you've said and and uh, some very very wise advice I think you know for definitely for internal communicators but some really good advice I think for anyone who's you know in any sort of leadership role as well is is that sort of that uh, ability to recognise um, you can't do it all on your own and you do need to you do need to uh, have a support network but also you need to trust the people who are doing the job when you're leading them and 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 not micromanage them but also have a grip on what's going on as well it's that tricky balance that you have to find isn't it when you're in that role so yeah so brilliant well thank you so much sarah no thank you it's been an absolute pleasure and i hope plenty of people listen to this and it helps at least one person along the way then it's done its job wonderful thanks a lot sarah thank you bye-bye all right take care thank you We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. If you've got any ideas for episodes you'd like us to cover in future, you can email us at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk or you can use the feedback form at engagingic.com. If you're not already subscribed to the show via your podcast platform, please do so. And if you could leave a review for us, that would be absolutely fantastic. We have links to other episodes at engagingic.com. All of our previous episodes are available there. And if you're interested in our visual communication services, our big pictures, our learning maps, our explainer videos, and also our live graphic recording, please get in touch with us again at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk. Thank you.